Welcome to Torah Today Ministries and our continuing series, Parsha Seasonings, where we look at some of the details in the Hebrew of the weekly Torah portion, as well as some of the anomalies found only in the Torah scroll. In this episode, we are in Torah portion Shalak, which is in Numbers chapters 13 through 15. And if you're wondering about my shirt, I know I usually wear more somber clothing when I'm recording these teachings. Well, the day I'm recording this just so happens to be Robin's birthday. And uh, so I went to change shirts. She says, don't change shirts. It's my birthday. Keep that on. So here I am. But next week, I'll be back with my typical boring self. But uh, anyways, let's get on to our Torah portion. In Numbers 13, verse 16, we see a name change. And throughout the Torah, we've seen names changed, Abram to Abraham, and Sarai to Sarah, and, and Jacob to Israel. And now we see Hosea's name changed to Yahashua, or Joshua. Now, it says here that these were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Yahashua, Joshua. And the way that his name was changed is simply by the addition of the letter Yud at the beginning of his name. And there you see the Yud added. Other than that, all the letters are the same. And this name, Hosea, is exactly the same spelling as the prophet Hosea, and uh, the exact same word. And the word means salvation. Now, an interesting story behind this Yud, and this is one of those stories I love that you find the rabbis um, uh, kind of seasoning the Torah with, is they say that when God changed Sarai's name to Sarah, and if you look at the spelling, you'll see he took Sarai, took the Yud off the end of her name and put a hay in its place. They say that the Yud went before God and said, Lord, this is the matriarch of the Jewish people, and you, you took me away from her name. What are you going to do with me? And the Yud just felt lonely and lost and cast aside. And so the Lord said, don't worry. There's a great deliverer of Israel coming, and you shall be at the beginning of his name. And so sure enough, in our verse, we see Adonai placing the letter Yud at the front of Hosea's name to make him Yahushua. Now, um, I might as well mention here that Yeshua is the same name as Joshua, and Yeshua is spelled Yud, Shin, Vav, Ayan. I mean, Ayan. Um, and you can see it shares many of the same letters, uh, but the hay is taken out. So people say, well, that's not the same name. Well, yes, it is. It still means salvation. It's like Robert, Rob, and Bob are all the same name. They're um, forms of the original name Robert or Roberto. And we do the same thing with English names. Franklin can become Frank. And, um, and Henry becomes Hank. And so this is the sort of thing that happens with names in all languages. And just by changing a letter or moving a letter does not change the name to a different name. It just changes the form of that name a bit. But I can assure you that when Yeshua was here, this is how his name was spelled. 
but everyone understood it came from the name Yahashua or Joshua. Now, um, I have some other things I want to talk about in chapter 13, but I, I want to skip ahead just for a moment to chapter 14 because there we see Caleb discussed. And when we discuss Joshua, I think it's important to discuss Caleb as well. And in chapter 14, verse 24, uh, it says, But my servant Caleb, Chalev is how it's pronounced, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land unto whence he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, going back to Yahashua, the letter Yud is the letter of the Aleph Beit that is always thought to represent God's spirit, because it's the smallest of the letters. It's the only letter that's written up above the line. It's suspended in space. All the other letters come down to the foundation line or even go beneath it. But Yud hangs up there in the, in the sky, if you will, all by itself. And um, it is always understood in Jewish lore as being a very spiritual letter. A letter represents God's spirit. So by adding the Yud to Hosea's name, is almost like saying, I'm placing my spirit upon you in my hand, Yud Meden's hand, putting my hand on you in a special way. But when it comes to Caleb, it says Caleb, he was already of a different spirit. He had a different spirit. It's almost like he was born with a spirit that just attached to God, wanted to follow God and be bold and obey God no matter the cost. But Chalev, Caleb's name, means dog. And dogs in the Bible don't get a very good rap. They are always considered to be um, unsavory, unclean, uh, loud, and kind of a nuisance. We don't see people keeping dogs as pets in the scriptures. And dog became kind of a, uh, a catch term for the unclean Gentiles, the dogs. Even Yeshua, when the Syrophoenician lady came to him asking that he heal her daughter, he said, it's not appropriate to take the children's food and give it to the dogs, referring to the Syrophoenician woman. But she had a spirit like Caleb, and she says, but don't eat the dogs. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And this answer so pleased the master that he healed her daughter. And another interesting thing about Caleb is that Caleb was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. We are told that he was a Kenizzite. And you will find this over in Numbers, I'm sorry, in Genesis uh, well, we'll go with Numbers 32, 12 first. It says, None except Caleb the son of Yephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed Adonai. In other words, out of the 12 spies, 10 of them brought back a bad report about the land, but Joshua and Caleb were faithful. They brought back a good report. So out of those 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb were the only two, 40 years later, to go into the promised land. But what is a Kenizzite, you may ask? Well, in Genesis 36, verses 10 and 11, it says, The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. 
These are the names of Esau's sons. So Caleb was a descendant, not of Jacob, not of Israel, but of Esau. And yet he had a different spirit. And yet he is one of the ones who is so faithful that Joshua the Jew and Caleb the Gentile became partners. They became one in the Lord, one in the spirit, and they led Israel into the land 40 years later. Now, an interesting thing about the name Caleb, Khalev, is that if you notice the first two letters, Kaf Lamed, they spell the word kol, which means whole or all. Uh, sometimes you'll see the phrase kol Yisrael, all of Israel. And then the second and third letters, Lamed Beit, spell the word lev, which is heart. So Khalev means whole heart or all heart. No wonder a dog is man's best friend because if you have a dog, um, and we're dog people here at the Luton household, dogs are wholehearted. And when they give you their heart, they're with you for the long run to the better end. And Caleb, the Gentile, the dog, was wholehearted. And he was the partner of Yehoshua, whose name is also Yeshua and who helped lead the people of Israel into the land. There are so many beautiful parts that come together in the story of Joshua and Caleb. Just on a personal note, I remember so well when I was 16 years old and for the first time, I just picked up a Bible and began to read it. And for some strange reason, I started in the book of Joshua and I was so taken with the book. And I, I kept asking myself, why didn't I hear this stuff in church? I grew up in church. I didn't hear these stories in Sunday school. And I determined then at 16 years of age that if I ever had two sons, they would be named Joshua and Caleb. And many years later, God blessed Robin and me with two fine sons. And we named them Joshua and Caleb. And in fact, Caleb's story is quite astounding. And if you check out on our website, uh, Be Our Guest, I interviewed our youngest son, Caleb, and his story of deliverance. And uh, I highly encourage you to, to look at that. I think you'll be blessed by it. All right, well, moving on. We're going to go back to chapter 13. And in verse 20, most translations will read this way. Uh, Moses is giving... Uh, the spies, the 12 spies instructions as to what to look for when they go into the promised land. And he says, find out is the land, how is the land? Is it fertile or is it lean? Are there trees in it or not? But that is not what it says in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it says, is there a tree in it? Is there a tree in it or not? Interesting. Uh, Hayesh is there bow in it, eights, a tree. And the rabbis have wondered, why did Moses word it this way? And in Jewish thought, a tree, at least a fruit tree, is a symbol of a righteous man. And Rashi comments on this, and he says, what Moses was saying is when you go through and you look at the inhabitants of the land, is there a tzaddik, is there a righteous man among them? You know, in the 
opening verses of the first psalm, it talks about what the righteous man is like. And it says that he is like a tree that is planted by the water, the streams of water, and yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And, uh, and all that he does prospers. And, and Moses was curious, according to the rabbis, is there a tree? Is there a zodic? Is there a single righteous man in the land? This reminds me of earlier in Genesis when God sent the angels to Sodom to see if there were 10 righteous men. If for the sake of 10 righteous men, he would have spared the city. And it's almost as if here Moses is asking, is there one righteous man? Is there even one in the land of Canaan? Well, moving on a little further in chapter 13. The, the spies have gone over the promised land. Forty days later, they return. Joshua and Caleb say, let's go. We can take this. Let's move in and, and take our inheritance. But ten of the spies gave an evil report. And they discouraged the hearts of the Israelites from going in. And those ten wicked spies said, uh, then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for it is stronger than us. Well, of course they're stronger than them, but they're not going up alone. God's going with them. There aren't many things in this world that aren't stronger than me or you. But if we're with God, we're more than conquerors. If God is with us, we're with him. We walk with him. He's our protector. And God had proven this from the days of the exodus from Egypt right on up to the present. And, but the people say, oh, no, it's um, the, the inhabitants of the land are stronger than us. And that phrase, than us, is the word memenu. Here you can see it. And when you see nu at the end of a Hebrew word, it usually means first person plural, us, we. But in this case, if there's a dot over the letter, it means memeno, then him. And the rabbis read this and, and see into the hearts of the people that though these spies are saying, oh, they're stronger than us, what they're really saying to hearts, they're stronger than God. No wonder God was so furious. After he had destroyed Egypt, conquered Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world, God had done it single-handedly. And now these spies go up and they see these Canaanites and say, oh, they're, they're too strong for us. They're too strong for him. And this word, as I said, can be translated either as than us or as than him. And we need to be careful in our own hearts when we say that things are too difficult for us. We need to be careful we're not really saying it's too difficult for him. Then back to chapter 14 now, going on to chapter 14, I should say. Um, it says here in verse 17, And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have declared. And when that word be great, it's one word in Hebrew, is written in the Torah scroll, it's written with an oversized yud. And the question is, why is that one letter 
written oversize in the Torah scroll. And it just so happens the letter Yud is the 10th letter of the alphabet, so it has a numerical value of 10. And the rabbis believe that in this conversation between Moses and the Lord, and he's saying, let, let uh, the power of the Lord be great, as you've declared, that it's a reference to the 10 times that the Israelites had tested God after leaving Egypt. You'll find this in verse 22. For it says, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. And it's believed that this oversized yud is to draw our attention to the number ten and that this is the final test God is going to tolerate from these these uh, faithless people, this faithless generation that had come out of Egypt. So over the next 39 years, this older generation is going to perish in the wilderness and their children, the ones they were afraid were all going to be killed by the Canaanites, they're going to grow up and they're going to go in and they're going to take the land of Canaan. And in verse 28, it says, Say to them, As I live, declares Adonai, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. These ten spies had stirred up the fear in the hearts of their wives and their families. And there was murmuring in the tents. And there was weeping all night because of this evil report of these ten uh, faithless and cowardly spies. And the people were saying, oh, if only our carcasses had just fallen here in the wilderness. It's better just to die here than to go in and be slaughtered by these Canaanites who are more powerful than we are. So God says, as I live, declares Adonai, what you've said in my hearing, I'll do to you. You want to die here in the wilderness? You will die here in the wilderness. But your children, as I said, who you're so fearful about, they're going to go in and take the land instead. Now, what's interesting is that this uh, phrase, um, that this verse has a numerical value of 2,558. Well, there's one other verse in the book of Numbers that also has this numerical value. It's in chapter 33, verse 56. And here it is talking about what will happen in the future if the Israelites are not faithful in conquering the land of Canaan. And if they're not faithful and they don't keep God's commandments when they come into the land, then the inhabitants of the land will rise up and be stronger and will cause problems and will damage or even destroy the Jewish people. And in this verse, he says, And I will do to you as I thought to do to them. In other words, in the land, if you are not faithful to my covenant, if you don't keep my commandments, I will do to you as I thought to do to them. So you can see the, the similarity in the two verses. But the similarity in the sentiment of the verses, it goes beyond just the feel of what is being said. But the actual numerical value of the letters is identical. Because the 
Jewish people were so forgetful of God's commandments. God gave them a new commandment to put zitzit, to put tassels on the corners, the four corners of their garments. And it says in Numbers 15, 38, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make zitzit on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, to put a cord of blue, a cord of techelet, is the word in Hebrew, on the zitzit of each corner. That word zitzit comes from the word zit, which means to shine. Now these tassels were just made of the, the strings, white strings with a blue string wound around and intermingled with them. They didn't shine, but they would shine with a spiritual light. And it, they were intended so you see them, you remember, oh, I'm in covenant with God. I need to remember his commandments and to do them. And we are a forgetful people. All of us are. This is why we need to continue to study and to pray and to not allow the Torah to depart from our mouths, but to always be meditating and discussing it all the time. Because if we don't, we'll forget. And so God instituted this commandment of wearing zitzit. I'm not going to get into the ways they can be worn and should women wear them and should they be worn on the outside or the inside or can you clip them to your belt loops? I'm not going to get into all that. But the purpose of zitzit is to be a visual reminder that we are in covenant with God and we are to keep his commandments. Now he says to put them on the corners of their garments. And the word for corner in Hebrew is the word kanaf, kanaf. And the plurals, confim or confot, it can take a, a, a masculine or a feminine plural ending. But the word kanaf does not mean only corner, it's also the word for a wing, like on a bird. Which is very interesting. Because in Malachi, there is a promise there, a prophecy, that... Uh, but this is what it says. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its kanaf. And I forget if it's a confote or confim here, but it's the plural of kanaf, of wings. But this word can also mean corners, that the sun of righteousness would have healing in its corners. Of course, what's the story that comes to mind immediately? Well, it's the story of in Matthew 9, verses 20 and 21, where the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years, who was considered ritually unclean, was not permitted to take part in the family matters. Uh, she could not have relations with her husband, therefore she could not have children. Uh, she was excluded from so many of the things of Israel. She saw Yeshua, knew he could heal, and she thought, if only I could just touch the corner of his garment. And this is what it says in Matthew 9, 20 and 21. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years approached him from behind and touched the zit seat on his robe. For she said to herself, if I can only touch his robe, I will be healed. And what made her think that she could touch the him, the corner of his robe, the zit of his robe, she'd be healed? She knew the prophecy in Malachi that there would be healing in his corners. So it's amazing, isn't it, how everything's connected in the scriptures? 
And uh, this is one of the reasons I encourage you and, and that I love to study the Hebrew Scriptures. Not to the exclusion of the Apostolic Scriptures, but because studying of the Hebrew Scriptures makes the New Testament Scriptures come alive in full color and 3D. And they just explode with life and with meaning. And whereas in the past they were often flat and there were gaps and didn't seem to make sense. Now everything connects. All the dots connect. And we see a Messiah more and more in the Torah. And we see the hand of God, the mighty God, the deliverer of the Torah. And the Torah of Moses, we find that coming alive in the New Testament scriptures as well. So I hope this short little talk encourage you, encourages you to, to delve into God's word more and to find the seasonings there that can so enrich our study and our walk with him. So until next time, I wish you shalom and God bless. Thank you for joining us for today's teaching. If the work of Torah Today Ministries has touched your life, please consider making a donation or sponsoring an upcoming video. As a video sponsor, you'll have an exclusive opportunity to memorialize a family member, celebrate a special event, or simply support the ongoing creation of similar content. Your tax-deductible contribution helps ensure that our teachings continue to reach all who are longing for truth. Click the link or visit our website to learn more. Amen!